they might recognize the diverse and unique backgrounds of their students. I hate the way that's written. Uh, unique backgrounds. Unique to white people. Again, you're centering <laughs> whiteness. And this article is not supposed to. But <laughs> oh, man. Y'all tried. Y'all did. 90%. <laughs> Today we are talking about the savior complex and the persecution complex. Two different ends of the same bullshit spectrum. Uh-huh. I feel like this is just very fitting at all times as long as we got religion in this country. <laughs> religion. Which we always will. And some of these white people who feel like they're under attack by uh, marginalized folks' voices being elevated and amplified. Right. Girl. It's not even just white people no it's more. It's not just white people, no. It's a lot of different. I actually heard the story of this woman on TikTok yes. yesterday going dumb over talking about she can no longer claim womanhood because we can't say what a woman is anymore. Girl. Oh, yes. The women who feel like uh -huh. their experiences are being invalidated by trans women or non-binary yes, femme people. Subverted. Shut like, up. They're not. You're fine. You're still a woman, baby. We're going to do a whole other episode about that. Yeah, we are. It's one of those things that I truly do feel it goes back to the scarcity mindset at the end yeah. of it when it comes to that persecution complex, which we will actually talk about more at the end of the episode. Yes. Scarcity mindset goes into it that if those people come up, if those people get what they have been lacking and what has been robbed from them, it is taking away from me. Which is wild because if you are something... Nobody can take that. Nobody can it. change that. Yes. Right. This is like me thinking that people dyeing their hair black takes something away from me as someone who is naturally black haired. It's that dumb. <laughs> it's really that stupid. It's possible you could make that argument for people who have less common hair colors, maybe. But even still, yes. even if you are a natural redhead. I could dye my hair red or I could get red hair all damn day. That doesn't make you any less of a redhead. That doesn't make me any more of a redhead. That just means I have red hair right now. But you are still a redhead. But the issue we have in society is people don't just leave it at red hair, right? They have all sorts of tendencies and personality traits and characteristics that they associate with redheaded people. Yes. Or with women. So... You're appropriating all of the characteristics and practices that come along with that, supposedly. Uh-huh. That's not true. Because I know you know it's not true. <laughs> of but course, yes. first off, sticking with the red hair thing, most people default to white people as being the only redheads, which it's not true. Not. Anybody technically can be a redhead, any nope. ethnicity. So all of that's based in, well... Stereotypes. Stereotypes. And misconceptions, yeah. Yes. So I wouldn't build my foundation on that if I if I were a redhead, I think. But it's a bunch of nonsense. But we're going to get into it. We are going to get into it. Let's dive in. Do you have our definitions? I do. Oh, yes. So we're going to be speaking primarily about white savior syndrome. But this also kind of goes hand in glove with Western savior syndrome mm -hmm. and a lot of those people tend to be white there are some non-white folks coming up on the bullshit now yes. because going to other countries where they do have western privilege and flaunting that so they are also part of the problem but we are specifically speaking about white savior syndrome right now and it can also be called white saviorism this is White people who consider themselves wonderful helpers to Black, Indigenous, and people of color, BIPOC. Oh, yeah, sorry. I hate that term. I hate that <laughs> term. Ugh. But they help for the wrong reasons and sometimes end up doing more hurt than help. And the same side, or the other side, rather, of this bullshit coin is the persecution complex and that is an irrational and an obsessive feeling of fear that one is the object of collective hostility or ill treatment on the part of others we're gonna get into the savior <laughs> complex first 
We're not going to spend as much time on persecution complex because we've talked about this in other episodes, the persecution complex, and not called it that necessarily, right? Like we've talked about white women victimization in our episodes on the United Daughters of the Confederacy Mm -hmm. in uh, when we did our Blind People React to Visual Art episode. So let's dig into the savior complex, man. We found this lovely article called A Savior No One Needs, Unpacking and Overcoming the White Savior Complex. The savior complex is not specific to white people, and we will actually talk about that. Don't worry, we're coming for everyone. Everyone who fucking deserves it, yes we are. We are coming for everyone who deserves it, yes. (laughs) Folks with a white savior complex often speak passionately about wanting to do the right thing. Yet their actions usually involve little, if any, input from the people they're trying to help. They may mean well, but um, they are misinformed. They believe that their actions challenge white supremacy and racism. But the issue is white saviorism tends to shine light on inequality and inequities, but it also centers the actions of white people and simultaneously ignores or even invalidates experiences of the people they're claiming to help. When we found this article, I believe you found it. And I got to say, this hit the nail on the head, Mm -hmm. all the nails. This really does break down what is sometimes hard to put into words. It's a feeling you're like, ugh, here they go again. But articulating it can be difficult. And this article did an exceptional job of that. Yeah, so we're going to dig into examples of white saviorism. Mm. It's not just little things in passing and little microaggressions no. that people use every day. There are parts of our culture where a big part of it is white saviorism or Western saviorism. Mm-hmm. So this article provided four examples. Obviously, there are others. Many more. The first example is missionary work. I've always felt that. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, of course, growing up in the church, I thought it was like, oh, cool, missionary work. Um, but I went to a black church, so we did not have the resources. Okay, how about this? A black church that I went to, especially as a child, did not have the resources to be going over to Guatemala and other places like that that I saw other larger, more predominantly white churches going to, but it never sat right with me Mm -hmm. of the way missionaries would go over and force their religion on them, on the people there without, you know, we're going to go build houses. We're going to go build a school. We're going to go teach them about Christ. And it's like, but what do they want? What do they need? I got a whole blurb. Listen, this says mission trips provide short-term support to developing countries, especially after a disaster. They generally send in people lacking in work qualifications. Mm-hmm. They set up clinics and provide health care services without any medical training or experience, or I'll say with little. Little. Because sometimes they have some, but mm, it's not usually qualified doctors, okay? Not We're not totally. talking about the Doctors Without Borders organization, right? We're not talking and about even that. Problematic that's not there, that's okay. not a fucking mission trip, though, is the thing, right? <laughs> Others build schools or homes in the community and don't include the skilled but unemployed workers in the community who actually have construction training and experience. I never even thought about that. Yes. People like to go off about immigrants taking jobs away from people, but it's like, that's not taking jobs away from people because those people actually fucking live here. Mm -hmm. These are people going to volunteer and taking jobs away from the skilled laborers there. And by doing so, saying me as an unqualified Westerner, I am inherently more experienced than you Mm -hmm. as a local Simply because of where I come from. You may not be thinking that, but that is what your actions are saying. You got people who've been building houses and people who are, you know, the repair people and everybody knows them in town and the village, whatever. And then you just come riding in on your white horse or whatever the fuck, waving your Western country flag, pick one. And then you're like, oh, I, as a college student who's never, never picked up a hammer, sometimes even a teenager. Well, sit over, yes. sit over here with my church 
You know, I'm 14, 15, never picked up a hammer in my life. I'm going to build a house better than you, skilled person who lives here. They don't take those people into consideration because, but I'm here to help. But you're not helping because you're not giving these people a chance to do for themselves. They were doing for themselves before you got here. Okay. Well, and it's not to say that the people in these communities do not need help, but you need to ask them what type of help, what type of help they need rather than assume, you know, what type of help they need. And also not including them and supporting their community and putting their community back together together after a disaster is just really disempowering. We're going to do this for you. You Just sit there. Yeah. You can create more problems than solutions. You don't know the structure. You don't know the, I hate to say it, hierarchy of the community. And you're thinking you're building this house or whatever, but eventually you're going to go home and they're going to be left with, okay, these people came in and did X, Y, and Z. And now uh, we have to redistribute resources. The people that they helped actually were, I don't know, I don't want to say not the people at the top, but you know, there's just so much of the inner workings of a community that don't get paid attention to. Or you only bit how you only built houses for families of certain sizes. Right. Things like that. And mm-hmm. there was I knew this one woman who did a mission trip and she was so proud. Grown ass woman. And I remember her saying that she was in some South American country. And she was saying this proudly, like if the kids wanted to get food, they had to sit through an hour of Bible study. And she was like, it was a very fair trade and and the kids were very willing to come and sit and we got to teach them about Jesus and we played soccer with them and all they had to do was sit and listen to a sermon or two. And I'm just like, that was just so off-putting to me, like just so off-putting. I'm like, did it ever occur to you that maybe they just wanted the food and the They just wanted the food. They don't give a fuck about your beliefs. Ugh, it makes me so angry. And this is not to say that mission work can't be beneficial. Right. But again, like we said, you need to ask the people of the community what they need and offer only that support. They say we need blankets. Just bring them blankets. Well, we're going to build you houses. We didn't ask for that. Center local community organizations. There you go. And take a supportive background role. Also, it's important to do mission work that comes from a perspective of equality, not superiority. That part right there, because a lot of people, like we already stated, come in with that Western savior, white savior, mother knows best sort of ideology, and it shows you're not better than them. You're there to help. You're there to to be supportive, not paternalistic. That's how it should be. Another example is volunteering, which I've never even heard that word before. I have. And I'm sad to say that there was a point in time where I thought this was a good idea. It's not too much different from a mission trip. It's not. It combines volunteer work with tourism. It often focuses more on what the volunteer gains from the experience than any lasting benefits to the communities they aim to help. Because I know there's people who have put this on their resumes, right? Like that's the way they sell some of these trips in college because you're doing volunteer work and you get to see this beautiful place and sit on the beach and whatever the fuck they say. Mm -hmm. But it's just another way to incentivize people to volunteer. And it seems good on the surface because it seems like you're helping people. But really really it's about helping the volunteers get some experience. It's not really about helping the people at the destination these volunteers are headed to. It helps a volunteer and it helps the company because you're paying. They organize these things like a tour and they're, we're going to be in X country for Y weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you pay a specific fee and they're like, we'll cover, you know, this fee covers all these things. The only people benefiting are the Western people, whether it's the tour operator or the actual volunteer. Ugh. Yeah. These volunteers <laughs> attempt to support communities without knowledge or consideration of what those communities actually need, like the people doing missionary work. Mm -hmm. 
And again, they typically lack specialized experience or skills. Interestingly, this article talked about how volunteering at an orphanage or children's home can contribute to the trauma that these children have experienced and continue to experience. Yes. Because they can become attached to these volunteers in a few short weeks, and then they end up experiencing separation anxiety when the volunteers leave. So before taking a volunteer trip, ask yourself, do I have the skills and experience needed for the job? Could I use the money I'm spending more efficiently by directly donating to the organization I want to support? Lastly, am I taking paid work opportunities from people in the community? All good questions. Uh, One example of white saviorism that's close to home. Mm-hmm. is white teachers looking to save students. Ugh. How many <laughs> fucking movies have we all seen? And they're all tearjerkers, right? We've got the white person, whether it's a coach. They're saying teachers, yes. but there are coaches. All sorts of people, uh, social workers or whatever, white people just helping. And it's usually, but not always, but usually in American movies, White teacher, white authority person, black kid. Lots of times, black boy. And it's always this person rescued this poor, challenged individual from a life of just the most terrible thing. And sometimes it's as simple as, I'm going to take my new shiny teaching degree. I'm going to work in an inner city. Please stop that. This makes a popular narrative, both in the media and in real life. Uh A lot of these teachers lack understanding of who their students are and what they need. Cultural competence. They might recognize the diverse and unique backgrounds of their students. I hate the way that's written. (sighs) Unique backgrounds. Unique to white people. Again, you're centering whiteness. (laughs) And this article is not supposed to. (laughs) Oh, man. Y'all tried. Y'all did. 90%. (laughs) But the teachers fall short when it comes to meaningful discussions about culture, race, or white supremacy. In an effort to treat all students equally, they might cling to colorblindness, emphasizing their fair treatment of all students. And we have talked about before, we had a whole episode on the bullshit of colorblindness. The new racism. The Uh, the colorblind perspective ignores the effects of systemic racism and allows white people to avoid examining their own biases. You have them as white people. We got them as black people. So you are fucking wrong if you think white people don't got them growing up in a society. Agreed. The colorblind white teachers also don't realize that they are presenting to black children or black and brown kids the same figures over and over again. Like they're not bringing anything unique to the table, right? Like when you keep throwing up Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Mm -hmm. those folks, rather than helping uplift these kids by teaching them about the voices who have been silenced, about the voices who have faded into the background and their communities, about the voices who got lost in time, I wish more people would do that, you know, similar to what we do with our Black Beauty highlights. Yes. Not just talking about, yes, talk about racism and talk about white supremacy, but also talk about the gems of their communities beyond the same 10 fucking people that you can talk about and learn about in any classroom. And I will acknowledge it is getting harder and harder still because of all of the Republican-led efforts Mm -hmm. to silence any sort of honest talk about American history and them just completely gutting the curriculum pretty much all over the, the country. So I understand that that is becoming more and more difficult. However, these are things that I really feel would make any teacher a better teacher because letting these kids know that it's deeper than just Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, and Cesar Chavez, right? There are more people, there are more rebellions, there are more people that look like them. They fought and they sometimes were victorious and they sometimes weren't, 
but there are more people out there than just those. Talk about the inventors, like you said, talk about the geniuses, talk about people who've done other things. Even if you have to do that shit outside of school, be part of the clubs and stuff. Yes, the extracurriculars. Yes. Yes. If they have that and if they don't have it, shit, if you're a teacher who wants to make a difference, then you start that shit. You know, I'm sorry that it's come to this because the U.S. school system. But if you really, truly want to make a difference, that's how you do it. You got to you got to get down in the dirt because I'm telling you, they're not going to let you do it. They're not going to encourage you to do it. If you truly want to make that difference that you say you do, first start with educating yourself and then pass that knowledge down onto your students, whether you're a white teacher or not. Agreed. As a teacher in general, but this says as a white teacher, if you want to make a difference in your non-white students' lives, you need to be intentional about Mm -hmm. acknowledging your whiteness and the privilege it conveys. Recognize your biases and actively work to address them. Learn about and acknowledge the cultures, experiences, and histories of all students and address racism, white supremacy, and oppression in the classroom. The last example of the white savior complex (laughs) is adoption. Yeah, (laughs) this is really nasty. Oh, boy. Some people choose international adoption to save children from a life of poverty and crime or even their culture. Even parents who simply want a child can perpetuate white saviorism without realizing it. Some children put up for adoption are stolen or purchased from living, loving families to fuel the ongoing adoption trade. Yep. If you didn't know that, you need to be reading about it. Yep. There have been reports of this happening in many countries, including China, Chile, and Kenya. Concerns have also been raised about white families adopting black kids from American foster homes in an attempt to rescue them from black culture. Jesus. There's this guy. He is the first blind man to climb Mount Everest or recorded blind man. Yeah. He's white. His wife's white. They had a daughter. And then they adopted a son from, I want to say Tibet or Nepal. It was one of those countries over there. And the when the little boy, he was in the orphanage. And that's when I first saw him. And then they fell in love with him and they adopted him. He was four. And at the time, he didn't speak any English. They brought him all the way over to the U.S. and was trying to acclimate him. And then when he did finally learned to speak English, he kept saying, like, my mom is in jail. And they were like, no, your mom, your mom's dead. You know, long story short, about five years later, they find out this was a thing. They would go and they would arrest women on purpose for stupid stuff. And then they would put the kids in the orphanages and like, hopefully, you know, some white people would come over and adopt them from the UK, US, Canada, whatever. Well, yeah, because those adoptions cost money. So the organization is making money mm-hmm. from these adoptions. And they ended up finding the mom eventually. By this point, the little boy had been with them for like seven years. Right. And so yeah. she was sick, but she was like, I it would be cruel to send him back at this point. And yeah. I was just like, wow, like that is sick. My own personal story, not a story, but just a thought. When I was learning about the Americanized version of what happens in the Middle East and in African countries, let's be honest, uh, the U.S. is very, very biased in what it shows us. I was like, oh, I want to go adopt a little girl from there so she doesn't have to grow up in that society. Westernized savior bullshit. Mm -hmm. I see it now for what it is. But back then. I didn't see anything wrong with that. I thought that was a completely normal thing to think. So, yeah, I was the problem. I didn't actually adopt a little girl from Afghanistan or anything like that, but I wanted to. It's interesting. Being in the disability community, you meet kids from other backgrounds, Hispanic, Asian, South American, African. And these kids, a lot of them are adopted by white parents or sometimes even parents they're like second generation immigrants or whatever or like they were born from immigrants so essentially they were raised 
here in the United States and then decided to adopt kids from other countries. So they might not even be white people, right? These are people with Western saviorism and um, they don't bother to learn their child's language. They don't bother to learn about their child's culture and uplift that kid's culture and their perspective, you know, not just raising them to think America is the best place in the world and be lucky, feel lucky you live here and not where I adopted you from. I mean, because, yes, when you hear stories about some of these orphanages, these orphanages in some of these places are in an absolute state of, I mean, it's horrible. Mm -hmm. That's not representative of the entire fucking country. It's not representative of the culture. It is representative of the orphanage and the people who run that shit. I mean, there's a lot of these kids who, like, they don't continue learning their language or speaking their language and having their culture uplifted um, and and not learning to celebrate their culture and their country and their history that they come from. And I'm sorry, I think that's fucked up. There was this woman on TikTok and she was talking about how she was for the Black Lives Matter movement. She was adopted by two white women and they were like... (laughs) what is your problem like we adopted you from uganda you're not even part of this <laughs> she Whoa. was like what blackness is global bitches what's happening listen and she was oh, no. like yeah that was problematic you've got a lot of these kids adopted by white people who have realized how just fucked up they were because the white folks, like you said, did not do, or or not even just the white folks, but these ones I'm thinking of are all been adopted by white people. Right. Yeah. But um, it's like rescuing a puppy. Like you're not in the pound anymore. So you should be grateful, but these aren't puppies. These are human beings. There's a people with the whole history and background that you want to erase. That's not okay. Not at all. Of course. Of course. White people can be loving parents to children of other races, but they have to be intentional about actively addressing their own racism and biases, talking with their children about race and racism, and supporting and encouraging a connection with the child's birth culture. There you go. This article does get a 90%, maybe a 95. I'd give it a 95. <laughs> did a good job. There was a, there was a couple of questionable shaky parts, but yeah! by, by and large. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of this article, it talks about why white saviorism is inherently harmful. White saviorism echoes imperialist and colonialist beliefs by putting white people in the role of guiding responsibility figures White colonialists mostly considered people of color as primitive, ignorant, or childlike. White savior syndrome reinforces the belief that people of color need strong, capable white leaders and educators to create change. Guides who light the way and rescue them from their own helplessness. Lord have mercy. And of course... That's bullshit. It Doesn't is. say that in the article. White people who perpetuate white saviorism tend to outwardly show support for marginalized groups, but there's little substance or action behind these displays. You can see this when companies proclaim support for the Black Lives Matter movement, but do nothing to address the racist policies, still creating countless barriers. These outward displays offer an easy out for white people who don't want to confront their own biases. And this is not to say white people can't publicly show support for black and brown communities. They said BIPOC again. Fuck that. But it can be harmful when it provides a false sense of self-satisfaction and prevents more meaningful forms of support, like unpacking bias, learning to become anti-racist, working to permanently dismantle systems of oppression like we keep saying on this fucking podcast, how to avoid white saviorism. And again, I would also insert Western saviorism here. They're pretty much synonymous. You can replace the word race with culture, ethnicity, and probably some other forms of minoritization here. Mm-hmm. Steps you can take to turn your good intentions into meaningful acts of allyship and I will insert accompliceship. Yes. Allyship is getting a bad taste in my mouth. It's starting to. I'm, I'm uh, sorry, y'all. I'm after sorry. After we did our episode on that. Yeah. 
that's when the tide started to turn for yeah. me. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I don't have too much use for allies. Not Allyship is when you get in your toes wet. Don't stay an ally. How about that? Right. Allyship is how your, you start. If that is your freezer final form, then no. you're not really an ally. Get in the dirt. Get in, get in this water with us. <laughs> so steps you can take. Ask and listen. People be forgetting the listening part. <clears throat> if you want to support a community or person in need, ask yourself, have they openly expressed their need? What kind of support have they asked for? Am I providing the help they want or operating from my own assumption about what they need? Mm. Then ask them how you can be most helpful. Listen to their answer and respect it, even if they say they don't want your help. Bam. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it goes with anything, anybody, yes. any community. Examine your qualifications and motivations when it comes to volunteer work. Aim to limit the support you provide to things you're actually trained to do. (laughs) If your qualifications and experience wouldn't get you a job working in a similar field, (laughs) (laughs) it's probably worth exploring other ways to help, like through fundraising. Damn. But also, yes. But also, yes. Yes. Before traveling to offer support, it's always best to spend some time learning more about a particular country, including their culture, customs, politics, and current events. Say that again. Say that for the people in the back. Yeah, because I feel like people would just be looking up pictures online of all the Mm -hmm. desolate people they're going to help or the beautiful beach or the beautiful desert, and they don't be learning about where the fuck they actually going. They don't care. No, they don't. They because just think they're going to help people. That part is not important. They're just going to come over and build a school or dig a well. Oh, my God. Call it out. Mm-hmm. Hold yourself or anyone else accountable. Recognize white saviorism in your own actions and gently draw the attention of others mm-hmm. to out problematic actions or speech. Let people tell their own stories. Working to become an anti-racist ally to people of color means centering their voices and experiences, and this means not talking over them to describe their hardships or share your efforts on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Again, I feel like you could substitute this for other communities. People be doing this for disabled people, yeah. for women. I am sorry. People, some more people need to shut the fuck up. I literally just saw something last night about this black woman saying how still in all, after everything, a lot of white women voted for Republicans. And here comes this white woman in her section and her comments talking about, I voted Democrat. I'm blue. I'm from Louisiana. Please don't say all white women. I've done my part. Like, girl, go on. Please stop. The fact that you stepping up to call out a black woman and not call out these other white people. You should be in they comment section. You should be Why in they comment here? section. And this shit right mm-hmm. here is what we're talking about. But I've done this. Do not tone police a black that. woman. That's exactly what the woman On said. how white people not being supportive. Listen, Go call child. out these white people who are not. You have done your part. Now you need to call your white brethren to the carpet. Yes, ma'am. Create opportunities for people to speak rather than uh, speaking for them. Because it's like people want to talk about we need to amplify other people's voices and and talking about how much you want to or how you do it. You are still taking opportunities away from other people to speak. Your goal should not be recognition. If you come from a place of good intention and you really want to amplify other folks voices, that means you need to shut up more often. Mm -hmm. That's the intersectional insights way of putting it. I didn't say that in this article, but you know what? Some people need to hear that. But sometimes that's sharper language is what gets through to people. Because when you be trying to handle people with kit gloves. Gently draw their attention. Gently draw their attention. Listen, I ain't saying you gotta call everybody bitches and hoes. I ain't saying that. You don't. But I do believe that sometimes you can try the gentle approach and that will work for some people. But if the people are not listening, you got to dig in your toolbox and get a hammer occasionally 
right? <laughs> I That's love just what it. it is. I wanted you to talk about you brought when we did our discussion breakdown, you talked about black expats having a savior yes. complex, man. Oh my gosh. So first off, let's talk about the word expat because that is a Western thing. There's no fucking such thing as an expat because expat, you always know when somebody comes from a privileged background because they're like, no, I'm not an immigrant because immigrant has such a negative connotation Mm. in the West. I'm in a a lot of black immigrant groups, but they don't want to call themselves that for starters, (laughs) problematic, but they go to these other countries and it's not not Western savior exactly, but they go in being just like the colonizers. They go into with like everything so cheap over here, everything. And it's just with such a blatant disregard of the people. For example, people go crazy. There's a woman that I follow and she lives in Mexico. She was saying like her, her electric bill for two months was 12 US dollars. Her audience is primarily black women and she was like you guys it sounds good to you she's like but keep in mind that the average mexican worker makes eight dollars a day and so it may not seem for somebody's making u.s salary oh yeah you balling out of control but for them that's just one bill God help you if you have a family, there's still rent to be paid. There's still other utilities and stuff. There's still food. So that $12 is gargantuan to the locals. And she was saying like, keep that in mind. And there's so many people who go there and they're like, oh, I can buy property here or I can do this without considering how it's driving up the price for the locals. They're getting priced out of their own country. Oh, wow. It's sad. Also, too, a lot of Black immigrants are doing what the white immigrants have been doing, you know, coming in and how the fuck is your ass in fucking Thailand, Mexico, places like that, and you want everyone to speak English, right? Uh, Yeah, not learning about the language and culture where you're moving to. Exactly. It's just this colonialistic, imperialistic perspective that a lot of Black folks have taken on these mission trips, adoptions, volunteerism. Yes, they predominantly consist of white people because white people tend to have more resources in the West so they can go and do these things, but they're not only consisting of white folks. I feel like Black churches try more to help the people in their community. That's not to say that white people don't. I would agree with that. In my experience, I didn't attend a lot of Black churches. I didn't just go to the same one for all my life. A lot of the resources that white churches will take and put into volunteerism and mission trips is the stuff that black churches will take and be like, okay, everybody getting a $500 scholarship, all the high school seniors getting this scholarship, or okay, we gonna have parenting classes for the community, or we gonna have addiction classes, whatever, like they want to help the people in their community. Again, what, like I said in our black church episode, I feel like this is one of the things that is unique about the black church, or at least it makes it separate from the way white predominant churches are. So I honestly do think that black churches, they have those resources to do it. And some of them for sure do. Mm. You know, I ain't heard a lot about it, but I'm sure it happens. But I think that for the most part, they take those resources that they do have and reinvest it into the community and having the soup kitchens and the food banks and the clothing banks and things of that nature. I have to say the black folks that I do know who have gone on mission trips did not go to black churches oh they don't (laughs) i guess there is that that's not to say that there ain't no black churches doing mission trips but uh it's gotta be out there but again i just think if you didn't listen to our episode on the black church go do it yeah go do it (laughs) also you'll hear us say there that the mission trips that black churches did during reconstruction yeah was to the south it was black churches from the north going to the south the southern U.S. Mm-hmm. to help the black people down there. And um, let me tell you something. I feel like that's how mission trips should be. Stop thinking. 
thinking that you can help other people run their countries and run their communities in some that. country you don't even know the people's language and politics and culture like this article said stop that shit it's plenty of people right here in our country who need help you do not need to go colonize and christianize and spread your bullshit beliefs and paternalistic western views stop mm-hmm. it mm. help people right here yes like we we know how to do things the best we do not there are people who are like you said they're in need right here right, right in your here. Own backyard and you have no use for them but you want to go down and make kids listen to your christian sermon so they can fucking eat and get a soccer ball no but you got people right here where you can start a community food pantry. do a mission trip to san francisco <laughs> listen there wasn't a mission trip but it was one of those you know uh we were down on we were in louisiana and we were down on bourbon street and our people were yelling you know standing on their soap boxes yelling about the end of time oh yes how the you world's always ending and, the sky is always falling yes yes and i'm just like you know you would do better if you had some food and just had your message up in the background and let the people who are interested ask you but no you're sitting up here yelling in people's faces talking about repent repent because the lord is coming and that that's not helpful they do a lot of that shit here but they don't actually help people in the ways that i think they should there are some that do i'm so sick of saying that by the way if this does not apply to you or to your people your church then this should not offend you. If it does offend you, then you should ask yourself why. From this point on, I'm not fucking saying some or most or not all. I'm not doing that shit anymore. I'm over it. (laughs) Anyway, so the people that do that, you're not helping to get your message across the way you think you are. And you could do that. You could help the people if that's what, in fact, you think you're trying to do. You've got a lot of, we've got 330 plus million people right here. But you want to go over to Kenya or Uganda and make and them. They don't country. want you over there. They, want you. they, they do not. People. They got their own Christianity. They've got their own way of doing things that does not need you, Western person, white person. They don't need you for that. You do not know best. Mm-mm. Why don't we move into talking about the persecution complex? I think right now in U.S. politics, Jesus. People we hear espousing this complex the most are Christians, white conservatives. Yes. That's a lot of the people, even if they're not Christian, they are the people who feel like they are being persecuted simply by people gaining civil rights and human rights. Human rights. I don't understand that shit. I think about Roe v. Wade. A lot of Christians took that when they removed federal protections for it. A lot of conservatives took that as a win. They're like, woo-hoo, abortion's illegal. It's not actually what that meant. That's not what that meant, but... Never mind. <laughs> That's all right. That's a whole other argument. But uh, they were like saying things like, we're finally basically getting some of our own back because we've been forced to live under this regime. Where- oh my God. <laughs> Ain't nobody then had you. A- nobody has forced them to have an abortion. There are people being forced to have abortions and it ain't them. Let's it's go. not them. And that shit was happening before Roe v. Wade was passed and it's going to keep Please, happening. But let's can we talk about it? And then the thing that gets me is that you want to, all these white Christians want to holla and scream and rant and rave about how people keep taking their rights away and enforcing their beliefs. And look, oh, I don't agree with gay marriage or uh, marriage equality. I don't agree with this, that, and the third. Okay, you don't agree with it, but who the fuck is trying to pass laws against it? It's y'all motherfuckers. Nobody's saying that you have to agree with it. But why is it that because you don't agree with it, it shouldn't exist. But the people that do agree with it or have no problem with it, why should we have to bow to your whims? I will never forget this very confused, self-hating individual, but he was biracial. And he was talking about how the liberals wanted to enact Sharia law. I'm like, first of all, you probably don't even fucking know what Sharia law is. You don't law know what Sharia means. law is. Let's be, <laughs> let's start there. And then secondly, the Christians have their own fucking regime that they've been trying to implement. And they're actually doing a pretty fucking good For job. For centuries in this country. Yes. And they're doing a really good job, especially lately. So 
while y'all all screaming and hollering about people taking your rights, you're infringing on other people's rights. It's the motherfucking Christians out here who are infringing on everybody else's rights and trying to make this country go the way they think it should go, even though there should be a freedom of religion and a separation between church and state. That shit has never been true and has never been more clear than it is now that it's never been true. But y'all the ones talking about people coming for y'all and y'all the ones coming for everybody else. Nobody is saying you can't be Christian. Nobody is saying that you have to get abortions. Nobody is saying that you have to go and marry a man if you're a man or marry a woman if you're a woman. Nobody is saying you have to be trans. Nobody is saying any of that. But that's what the fuck you guys are making it seem like. You are the boogeyman you think everybody else is. Yes. I don't get it. How do you not see it? (laughs) One of the things I wrote down is... Oppression, persecution, and suffering are a part of the Christian narrative. And I think this leads some people to find oppression where there is none, which... They suffered like Jesus. Bigots will always do this. I don't care what race or ethnicity you are, what culture you are. They will always find oppression when... What's really happening is people are trying to stop them from oppressing, but you feel like your rights are being infringed upon because you can't be an asshole and shit on everybody the way you used to. Now your rights are being limited. Now you're being called to the carpet and you feel that that's (laughs) oppression. That's oppression. I can't be an evil sack of garbage anymore. Oh, no. I saw something the other day (laughs) that said straight white men are under attack. Fuck off my phone. Quit playing on my phone. What are you talking about? Straight white men have never been under attack and (sighs) never will be. Because don't nobody care about what they doing until you open your mouth or your concealed carry or whatever it is that you want to open up and infringe on other people's rights. Mm -hmm. Other than that, don't nobody care. Mm -hmm. Keep your vanilla bullshit to yourself. The Bible teaches these people to view opposition as oppression. Yeah. Especially when you got whole stories in the Bible where it's like, well, they didn't live the same way these other people did. So Old Testament God was like, oh, they shouldn't exist anymore and killed them. Right. Or drove them out. That type of shit. If I recall correctly. Yeah. It's like one of the Timothy's like 312 and it says something like you will be persecuted for your beliefs that's like a loose translation oh that's right yeah yeah, Christian, yeah okay. it, christians pick that shit up and run with that shit to the end zone okay and here's the thing there are countries where that's true where that is true we do not live in one if you are in a westernized country christianity is not being persecuted nope stop the nonsense Yeah. Also, tell me about all the times that churches have been shot up and tell me about who was in them churches. It didn't have nothing to do with Christianity. I don't ever recall. I could be wrong now, but I don't ever recall a white church being shot up. Mm, mm, mm. If it has. Go ahead. Somebody write us. I squared. I-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D. Hello at gmail.com. Tell us about a white church being shot up. Yep. I'll wait. Meanwhile. There have been a couple of synagogues, a couple of black churches, a couple of mosques. And I'm sure I could find some churches that had predominantly brown people, Latinx. Oh, please. They didn't destroy all sort of Native American temples throughout history. Let's go. (laughs) Like, come on. Talking about persecution. But y'all, white evangelicals, especially (laughs) Protestants, Lutherans, ain't nobody persecuting y'all asses. Shut (laughs) shut the fuck up. And then they accuse everybody else of playing the victim. I found an article. This is called The Evangelical Persecution Complex. They are the worst defenders. Some other (laughs) bullshit is in this title. Uh, The homophobic assignment. Something else is in there. It's a really fucked up title. Okay. The persecution fantasies of modern Christians are projections of their actions against others. You better say that. Yes. I was like. Hey. Say that. Wow. Their fear of persecution, especially here in the U.S., comes from their need to persecute others. Mm-hmm. Evangelical values have often been in tension with public policy and other cultural mores, a.k.a. cultural norms and progress. 
especially in the last, this says several years, I'm going to say several decades. Yeah, I would say that. Since maybe 50s to 70s. Man, evangelicals was in tension with the fucking civil rights movement. Okay. Yeah. 20s, they didn't want women to vote. Let's yeah. Let's oh my go. god. It didn't just start with abortion and same sex no. marriage like this article makes it seem like. But no. We might be working on at least a century. At least. These evangelicals anticipate major restrictions to religious liberty in the future as a result of these tensions. And um this article claims that this concern is not unfounded. And I actually think it is unfounded. Um, there's not going to be a restriction to your religious liberties unless you believe it's a religious liberty for you to practice your bigotry without consequence. Because didn't nobody say you couldn't be a bigot? No one can actually stop you being a bigot. Now, what you cannot do, though, is be a bigot without consequence and make it seem like can't nobody call you out on your bullshit. Mm -hmm. Can't nobody challenge you. Can't nobody oppose you. And can't nobody shut your shit down. Freedom of choice does not mean freedom of consequences. If you're going to choose to be that type of person, then you won't get all this smoke. Now, if you feel that that's oppression, then I can understand why you would feel that you're under attack because people are calling you to the carpet for being a piece of shit human being. And barely that. However, that's your personal definition. You are not actually being oppressed. And you won't ever be. They used to talk all their nonsense and actually go on the attack with their violent mobs and shit. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't really stop them. You couldn't really challenge them as often as they needed to be. There was some wins, but you couldn't challenge them as often as you could challenge everyday minoritized people living their fucking lives. Yeah. And now it's flipped. And so, yeah, hatred is not being given the same platform and pedestal that it used to be given. So, yes. Yeah, it's their fear of accountability. Ooh, say that? And they can't handle that. This is Intersectional Insights. If you like our content, leave us a rating or review to help the podcast. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you can email us. I squared, I-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, hello at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.